Sometimes people don't want to hear the priest or the prophet. It was amazing. I stepped into the little huddle this morning, and it wasn't, hey, bro, how you doing? It was a matter of what kind of a negative impact I might have on the service, depending on how long I went. I won't name any names. But you know, uh, it, it's amazing. When we look at the, the books, uh, especially the prophets, minor prophets included, there are constant reminders of the relationship we have with God, the covenant we have with God, what the expectation of that covenant is for us today as it was for them. And one of the constant themes was what had taken place with the Israelites when they had left uh, Egypt, the Exodus, what Moses taught them, how Moses tried to prepare them to go into the promised land that God wanted them to have, where God wanted them to prosper. Yet within a very short period of time, they lost sight of what those promises were. They lost sight of the message from the prophet, from Moses. And with that, we know that an entire generation died in the desert, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, who were able to actually go into the promised land. So before we turn to Micah this morning, I do want to start out in the book of Deuteronomy, which is uh, the warning that Moses gave the people. And really, when you think through it and you read through chapters 27 and 28, 28 in particular, there's only a couple of sentences where the people are cautioned. And God just pours out verse after verse of how he wants them to live, how he wants them to prosper, how he is a loving God that will take care of them. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 reads, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. And you can see, I'm not going to spend the time on it today, but it goes on verse after verse after verse about how awesome God is and what God wants to do for us. Yet, as people, what happened? What happens to us? We forget. You know, we lose sight of how God's blessed us, what God's expectations are, the covenant that we've entered into with God as Christians. And Micah, along with Amos, pointed up the social failures of the nation at this point in time, not keeping that covenant with God. Now, a little bit of history, a little bit of a timeline relationship to the message Geo preached two years ago. Micah and Isaiah lived at the same time, about 750 to 680 B.C., and they undoubtedly knew about each other. Now, Micah directed his message predominantly to Judah, the southern kingdom, but you know, he had a few things to say to Israel from time to time, the northern kingdom. Now, Judah was the most prosperous of the two kingdoms. They had a good, living large, awesome lives. And with that, there was that straying away from God. It's kind of interesting. King Ahaz, one of the individuals that set up pagan gods in the temple, finally ended up nailing the temple doors shut. Didn't want the one God being worshipped anymore. It was about Azra and all the other gods that they had welcomed in from foreign countries, foreign nations at that point in time. With this, there were about four different nations that were harassing Judah. And then along came King Hezekiah, who was a king that got the people of Israel back on the right path, took them back to God's word. And ultimately, it's probably one of the reasons that Judah survived a little bit longer from going, back in, going into captivity, as was not the case with the northern kingdom. 
Now, the prediction of both the northern kingdom and Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, this was God's discipline on his people for not obeying his word. And you know, and the importance of the message that we see here in Micah today is you can choose to live apart from God, but by doing so, more often than not, it leads to a life that's committed to sin. Sin leads to judgment and death. And God alone shows us the way to eternal life. And his discipline is the thing that normally, hopefully, will keep us on the right path. Some of the other uh, contemporary prophets at that point in time, well, one of the other ones that Geo preached on a couple weeks ago was Hosea. Now, Micah served as a prophet to Judah from 742 to 687 B.C. Just a little bit more history, and then we'll be jumping in uh, Micah chapter 2. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, southern kingdom. Samaria was the capital of the city of Israel, the northern kingdom. The destruction of Samaria was fulfilled during Micah's lifetime, about 722 B.C., just as he had predicted. In the message of Micah, as well as the contemporaries, One of the things that was consistent with the Israelites is they were super slow to learn. They were super slow to repent. When things were laid out and where they were showed where they were at, and what ended up happening during Micah's ministry is there were two major issues and the sins that stood out the most you'll see addressed in this book uh, was the perversion of worship and ultimately the injustice that took place out of that towards one another. And this is something that infiltrated and eventually affected and infected the entire country. They had forgotten, as Geo preached to us a few weeks ago, that they were bound to God in a marriage agreement, and to part to other gods was the same thing as committing spiritual adultery. You know, Geo showed us that in Hosea 4, 10 through 15. So it's kind of interesting. The very thing that they wanted to all these foreign gods, and because of the way they prostituted themselves, towards God, stepping out of that relationship with God, they ended up ultimately with the very thing they wanted. They were enslaved by people that worshipped a multitude of gods. That ended up becoming their life. And what this ties into is our own rebellious nature. Let's go ahead and take a look at Micah chapter 2 and verse 6. Give me an amen when you get there. It's in between Jonah and Nahum if you haven't been able to find it. If you can't find those, find Malachi and just flip back a few pages. That's before Matthew. Micah 2, verse 6. It says, Do not prophesy, the prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to him whose ways are upright? Lately my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without care, like men returning from battle. You drive women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined, because beyond all remedy. You know, and sometimes we we take a look at the message that, that God delivers to us, and we can think, you know, God's, God's telling them to get up and leave. I mean, isn't this a little harsh? I mean, what have they done that's been so bad that he would disown them and want to drive them out of his own country? And, you know, what we need to think about here is ultimately discipline. How many parents do we have in the group out there? I know when it comes to having a couple of kids that they may have viewed some of the discipline that came down over the years as being a little harsh. 
I view it as a matter of not having to make quite as many trips to the emergency room as I would have had to have if I hadn't disciplined them for trying to reach up on a hot stove or get into the chemicals underneath the kitchen sink or whatever the case may be. I mean, isn't that the crux behind discipline? To try and keep someone moving in the right direction, keep them on the right path, keep them out of harm's way? And I think a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God, we view Him as being harsh, but ultimately, what is it that He's trying to accomplish? I mean, if you go back to that passage in Deuteronomy 28, He wants to bless us. He wants to prosper us. He wants to take care of us. Amen? So, you know, one of the things that I know can be challenging for me, as it probably is for you from time to time, is listening when God speaks. When the message might be a little bit hard to take. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 11. It says, If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer. You know, what the response be? Party! Let's go! But you know, this is not... This is what was taking place during this period of time. That's the kind of message that the people wanted to hear from the prophets. They liked the false prophets who told them only what they wanted to hear. You know, isn't that how it is so often today when it comes to Christianity? You know, Christianity in America today, guys, it's a farce. It is a total farce. So many people claiming to be one thing and living another way. Going to a church where there are no challenges, where everybody's okay. You know, we just witnessed this here recently. There was a a big celebrity that got married. And there was a minister that had some issues in his local church out in the Thousand Oaks area that was taken out because of his sin. And somebody with a whole lot of money has set him up in a congregation now. And guess what? Everybody's welcome. Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live. Because God's an all-loving God. And God is a loving God, but God has expectations. He wants a right relationship with us so that when it comes to what goes on in the world, Christianity isn't viewed as a farce, that there's some meat to it, that people are living what they say in accordance with what God lays out in scriptures. You know, when it comes to preachers that preach the unpopular message, how do you respond? You know, one of the things I, I, I love, as we've seen lately, there have been so many people that have come into the fold. Uh, we may be a little uh, lacking this morning with the time change, but I'd like for those of you that have been baptized within the last four months, and those of you that are currently studying the Bible, to stand on up for a moment. You know, this is what God's Word, this is the impact and the effect that it can have. But I know that most of you are here for the same reason I am. It isn't because of what somebody said, it was because of how somebody was living their life. Amen? So again, the question here is, how do you respond? How do you respond to God? How do you respond to the Word? How do you respond to discipling? How do you respond to your minister? How do you respond to your employer? How do you respond to your your spouse? How do you respond to your child? Hopefully, with humility. Love and obedience. As we continue here, we have the opportunity to kind of see a preview of what was to come. I mean, there's some incredible prophecy about a Messiah that that Micah brings to the people to give them hope. And verse 12 says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. Now, who does this sound like? I will gather you. When Jesus looked out to the state of Jerusalem, what what is it that he stated that he wanted to do? 
He wanted to gather them together. You see this throughout his ministry. Gathering all nations, gathering all people, gathering chicks together under the wings of a hen to take care of. Open the doors of heaven for. And we see here, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in the pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Now this is an encouraging prophecy of Jesus Christ. You know, Isaiah, we're we're familiar with Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 2. What separates us from God? Sin. A wall of sin. And who is it that would come to break that wall down, to break through that gate, to give us the ability to experience that relationship with God? Jesus Christ. And you know, and the purpose of this prophecy here wasn't to predict exactly how this would occur, but that it would occur. This gave the people hope. And ultimately, what Micah and God were hoping, that through this hope that would be coming through Christ, you know what, the people would turn, they'd repent, they'd re-embrace the Lord. You know, and obviously today we can look to the Gospels, we can look to the book of Acts, and we can see how all this came together. You know, ultimately it's the same way with us today. It's not about when Christ will come back, but it's about the hope that we have which should give us the reason to live in accordance with what God has established for us. Amen? We got more hope here promised to God's people. Micah 5, verse 2. It's a passage that uh, many of us are familiar with in the New Testament. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the class of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You know, this deliverer, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Luke 2, verse 4 through 7. And eventually he would reign as the eternal king. We see that in Revelations 19 through 22. You know, this ruler, Jesus, the Messiah, Micah accurately predicted Christ's birthplace hundreds of years before he was born. You know, we see the promised eternal king in David's line who would come to live as a man. I'm being told that as a man, he had been alive forever, from of old, from ancient times. Although eternal, Christ entered human history as the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And this prediction was so hard-hitting, this prediction was such a big deal, the Magi were blown away that Herod couldn't understand what was taking place in his own backyard. The other thing that we see with, with Jesus and the prophecy here is that God and Christ will care for his people and give them security. Micah 5, verse 4. It says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. The Messiah, Jesus, will shepherd his flock. You know, and this is something that, the na- that was taking place in Micah's time. The nation's leaders then were refusing to do. They were refusing to shepherd the people. And Micah 3, verse 9, you don't need to turn there. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. It says, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness, her leaders judge for a bribe, her preachers, priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, 
Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. You know, we see, we see this today when you have ministers that are influenced by the bigger contributors in their congregation, where money becomes the influence in what they're going to say or what they're not going to say. When fear of losing that money or members of the congregation or their job influences them to remain silent when they should be preaching the word, preaching what is right. Yeah. You know, we see it time and time again. Those churches in da- are in danger. Those people are in danger. We should remember that Judah was finally destroyed because of the behavior of its religious leaders. You know, we see it in the Bible and we've seen it in our midst. We can see what takes place when there isn't that godly focus, when there isn't the love for one another, when there aren't the relationships that Christ calls us to, and most importantly, a minister that's willing to take a stand. It's one of the things I do appreciate about Geo. He doesn't have a problem mincing words. If something's wrong in the congregation, he'll go to the Bible, bring it to us, and show us what we need to change. Amen? Amen. Micah 5, verse 7. It says, the remnant of Jacob will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for man or linger for mankind. The remnant of Jacob will be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which mauls and mangles as it goes, and no one can rescue. Your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies, and all your foes will be destroyed." You know, this is an encouraging passage for each and every one of us here in Micah 5 and verse 7. Not only will Christ take care of the flock, but what does it say about us? Like that dew, like that rain is refreshing the grass. Isn't that what we are called to be to a lost generation? Powerful like a lion, triumphant over Satan. That's who we are to a lost world if we're living in accordance with what Christ has laid out for us. Amen? Now for a little uh, law and order criminal intent, 740 B.C. style, Micah 6, verse 11. I got my wife's attention with that. Excuse me, Micah 6, verse 1. Ding, ding. (laughs) Says, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen. You everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. That's kind of wild here in verse 3. I mean, basically the, the mountains and the hills are the jury. We're on the stand. But then verse 3, God stand, steps up onto the stand here as the defendant. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. You know, we see God putting his people on the witness stands and the mountains again to the jury, but then in verse 3, he takes the witness stand. Do we put God on trial? All the time. You know, it's amazing. Our insurance agencies, you know, when it comes to homes being destroyed, it's an act of God. You know, the things that they find the exclusions for when it comes to you needing the, the money to rebuild or whatever. When things aren't going right, how many of you blame Satan? That's rhetorical. I would imagine there may be a few of you that may see that you know, this is his realm, 
but ultimately, God, I've been praying to you. God, you're not answering me. God, what's your problem? Why did I lose my job? Why do I have a stinky job? Why this, that, the other? Why can't I make ends meet? God, 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 God. It's your fault, God, it's your fault, God. Why do we blame God? You know, what has God done? As he asks, what did I do to you? And you know, when I'm not doing well spiritually, I'm that guy screaming up at God, what's going on, man? I've been a disciple 20 years. What's up? I've been faithful. You know, I share my faith. There's been a few that have been baptized. There's been a little bit of an impact. I preach your word. What's going on, man? I'm down here. Hello. But you know, it's because I'm not grateful. You know, I look back at my life. You know, you need to take those time to pause and reflect. I was adopted. Watching the TV, I could have been one of these kids bouncing from foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home. But I had a roof over my head. I had a family. I had a bed. I had a place that I could call my own. You know, there was education that came out of that. You know, I, I look at how all the different things that have been set up, the path that God sent me down, so I'd be able to be on, in the same path with this incredible woman, my beautiful wife of 25 years. I mean, that's totally God. I've been blessed with two incredibly beautiful children that I love with all my heart. That's a gift from God. I'll never forget when my son Stephen was born, having been adopted, that being my first blood relative, and when, the first time I held him, Knowing that this was my flesh and blood, that this was a gift that God had given me. I mean, that's so amazing. I remember coming out of the delivery room, man, blubbering like a little schoolgirl, man. No offense, schoolgirls. <laughs> Be careful here. Jeez. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I lose sight of those things. And I, I'm right there in the front of the line putting God on trial. You know, if God were to ask you today, what have I done to you, what would your response be? You know, this is one of, the, one of the wonderful things about pride. Pride perverts our judgment to the point of accusing God of wrongdoing. Micah 6, verse 4. Let's go ahead and continue. God goes to his defense here. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also, Aaron... And Miriam, my people remember what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shadim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. In verse 5, God continued to be kind to his forgetful people, but their short memory and their lack of thankfulness condemned them. You know, when people refuse to see how fortunate they are, they, like me, begin to take God's gifts for granted. They become self-centered. The thing I want to put before you this morning is remember God's goodness and thank Him. You know, there's a situation that took place at the Academy Awards, unfortunately, that really overshadowed a much bigger thing that was going on. I just wanted to read this to you here quickly. You may have seen the uh, situation where that director got kayanged, where that woman came up and interrupted his... Uh... <laughs> Kanye, yes. And, um, you know, there's an incredible story behind that movie that 
we didn't hear about because of that particular selfish situation. I just want to read this to you here quickly. It says, Goldwasser and her daughter Rachel were in Zimbabwe a few years ago to care for the former's ill father. While they were there, Rachel spent some time with the orphans and decided she wanted to build a dormitory for them as a bat mitzvah project. Family first saw Liana at the King George School when they returned to see the finished building, and Goldwasser said she was amazed by the students' talents as well as their optimism. I had to walk out of the class a couple times. I didn't want to cry in front of the band, she said, of how moved she was by the performance. After the concert, she asked what they needed. Expecting they could use new instruments or clothing, they all said in unison that they wanted to tour in America. Goldwasser helped them find the necessary backing to tour. And with a serene face and a soulful voice that has been compared to the legendary Miriam Makiba, lead singer Prudence Mahina has no legs and only modest use of one hand. When she was born, people told her mother that the condition was a result of witchcraft, and she says that people wanted to kill her because of her disability. She has overcome all of this to become a dynamic singer with a unique ability to connect with audiences from all walks of life. In 2006, Liana won the Crossroads Africa International Music Festival in Mozambique and went on tour in Sweden, the Netherlands, and Belgium. In July 2007, as featured performers at the Bolawayu Theater, Liana concluded with a new song, Never Get Up, Give Up, a title that is especially meaningful because it is the mantra learned at the KGVI school that inspires them to this day. You know, and seeing that young lady sitting in the wheelchair, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a wake-up call for me as to how self-centered I can become and how non-appreciative of the life that God has given me. Micah 6 verse 7 just goes on and talks about you know, the people and their sacrifices and all the things that they're bringing to the Lord. And, you know, basically Micah asked them rhetorically, you know, if the Lord really needed or wanted those thousands of rams and the 10,000 rivers of oil or even his own firstborn to atone for their transgressions and sin. And he, of course, knew that this wasn't the means of appeasing God. He also emphasized that God didn't want them to pay to get back into a right, right relationship. The thing that God wanted to change was their actions and their attitudes. And that's exactly what he expects from us. Micah declared God's covenant lawsuit against Judah because they forgot that God had delivered them from Egypt and reversed the curse of Balaam. They thought that this could, they could please God by just going through ritual ceremony. And sometimes we get caught up in the same thing. You know, we show up at church on Sunday, we go to midweek, occasionally open the Bible, maybe pray once in a while, we give our tithe, and hey, you know, God, we're awesome. You know, come on, pour it out, where is it? Hook me up. And that's not what it's about. You know, as a society back then, they rationalized their sin as society rationalizes sin today. And even as disciples, do we not compromise Christian principles in order to do what we want? You know, it's easy to convince ourselves that, you know, we deserve a few breaks. Everyone else is doing it. But you know, the standards for honesty and integrity come from God, not society. You can be sure when you compromise, somebody's watching. Maybe it's your kid. I mean, they suck that stuff up. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten challenged by mine by, for being a hypocrite. You know, and you kind of, kind of sit there it's like, okay, you're right, I've got to change. Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a classmate. 
but they see it. And guess what? When they do, and if they know you're a Christian, what does that do to Christianity? You're just a hypocrite like everybody else. So with that, let's not be a stumbling block to the lost. Micah 7. We're going to close her out here. Two more verses. Micah 7, verse 7. How am I doing on time, G? How about you, Dean? Peter? <laughs> Micah 7, verse 7. It says, for, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. You know, I'm feeling a lot better right now. <laughs> I just got to be open. I'm feeling a whole lot better right now. Micah 7, verse 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. This is a new mantra for me. I, I love this verse. This is a promise I need to embrace. You know, I sort of kind of did last week, but I'm telling you, man, that five-page script got the best of me. My wife can tell you, have you ever seen me that stressed out? I mean, I, I was pretty stressed. I don't usually get stressed, man. I was stressed last week. And, you know, and I, I know that kept me from being who I needed to be as a disciple, as a Christian. I'm sure she wished that I, you know, probably would have been not doing quite so much whining. Um, you know, and I know I wasn't an encouragement to her. And there's a lot of stuff that she's been dealing with and going through and probably could have been for, there for her in a better way. But, you know, just really understanding that God is there for us. God wants the best for us. And closing out here in Micah 7, verse 18, <clears throat> just looking to the incredible God that we have. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? Guys, that's how he feels about us. We are his special people. That's awesome. To have that relationship, to know that Jesus came and died for us. And because of that, we have a special relationship with God. He says, you will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trap our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and your unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. You know, I really appreciate my wife's love for God and her ability to wait on God. And for those of you who know my wife, uh, when it comes to sometimes the areas of patience and waiting, not a, you know, not a strong suit. But I mean, she is amazing when it comes to waiting on God. A week ago, went through a very, very, very challenging situation. I mean, I, it's very, I can't, I could probably count on one hand the times where I've seen my wife moved emotionally the way this situation moved her negatively. You know, and I tried to be their encourager, and, you know, I was praying about it, and, you know, God, just take this from her. Lift this burden off of her. And God is so incredible. I mean, I feel like he really came through for her in a great way yesterday. She had the opportunity to speak at the Women's Day for the East Region. And it was standing room only. They had to turn people away. I mean, because of the fire laws, all the people that wanted to hear her speak didn't have the opportunity to hear her speak. And there was so much encouragement that she received from those sisters, a lot of which she hadn't seen in years. And there were a lot of them that were sharing tears and letting her know how much they appreciate 
her 20 years as a Christian, how she's taken a stand, how she hasn't gone anywhere, that she's been through good times, bad times, not so bad times, not so good times, the whole gamut. But she stood faithful. And I know that more than anything, she trusts her soul to God, to Jesus Christ. And that's such an encouragement to me, one, to see her stance, but two, to see how God gave her that little kiss yesterday to encourage her. And that is the God that we have. God delights in showing mercy. He doesn't forgive grudgingly like we can, which really isn't forgiveness. But he's glad when we repent. And he offers forgiveness to all who come back to him. You know, today you can confess your sins and receive his loving forgiveness. Don't be too afraid to accept God's free offer. You know, like the prodigal son, you've been going the wrong way. Guys, turn around because God's waiting there with his arms open. He's ready to embrace you. He's ready to lift you up. He's ready to encourage you. In this age when religion was making little difference in people's lives during Micah's time, Micah said that God expected his people to be merciful and humble. You know, and as disciples, as Christians today, God requires the same of us today. In this world that is unjust, we must act justly. In this world of tough breaks, we must be merciful. In this world of pride and self-sufficiency, we must walk humbly before God. Only when we live according with what God has established for us will we be able to affect our homes, our society, and our world. God bless.